And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are live once again from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at SciFiForMe.com. Happy to have all of you with us. Mazer is there in the chat saying that he actually got a notification when we went live. That is nice to see and hear and know that uh, YouTube is at least going to give us that bone. After taking away, I don't know how many subscribers. <clears throat> Alois, the viewer, also got a notification. Hey, look at that. Look at that. That's, uh, I'm, I'm happy with that. That's, that's impressive. All right, we are broadcasting live to Facebook, Odyssey, YouTube. We're also available in a podcast form of various different podcast platforms. And no Odyssey sound again. All right, so I'm going to put a note over here. <clears throat> it's a weird. I don't know why. Uh, it's a it's a weird thing. So Odyssey has a glitch, and they're not sure exactly what is causing it. But over there, when we're alive, there's no audio. So, but it's there in the replay, so it'll it'll be there. So anyway, all right. Speaking of YouTube, I do want to uh, encourage all of you to connect with our dot two. There's nothing there yet. We're still kind of figuring out what we're going to do with it, but that's going to be the replay channel for uploads and recorded stuff. All of the live stuff will still be here, and everything will still live here. But we're going to upload stuff over there and just see what happens. So. Uh, so there we are for that. All right, so uh, last, I think it was last week, week before last, all of, all of the days run together now, uh, we published uh, a, a note about the winners of the scholarships for the Heinlein Society. And I thought it might not be a bad idea to have somebody come on and talk about what the Heinlein Society is. Because even though, you know, we're all, you know, knowledgeable geek cred type of of people uh sometimes sometimes it just kind of uh goes away and we don't we don't catch everything so let's talk about the Heinlein society joining me uh from the bridge of the enterprise mike sheffield he is the scholarship chair of the Heinlein society mike welcome good to have you with us sir thank you nice to be here so i guess let's start with what the Heinlein Society is, does, how it got started, and how you got involved. The Society is a 501c3 educational nonprofit. Uh, it was founded in November of 2000 was when the Society actually was officially incorporated. Uh, its roots go back a little further. The, the idea was first floated William Patterson Jr., who was first president of the society and a good friend of, of Ginny Heinlein, Robert's widow, um, 
was actually talking about it as early as uh, Westercon in San Diego in 1998. And uh, from what I've heard from people who were actually at that panel when he first uh, brought the idea up, who are now uh, have become charter members of the society, pretty much you know at the end of the meeting they went up and told him take our money. Uh, they were they were interested immediately in the in the idea, but uh, we. Uh, have a number of different programs that uh, we're paying it forward. Uh, Blood drives is probably the thing that, that started out in the early days uh, was the, the first major program that, that got off the ground, uh, which is how I actually got involved with the society originally uh, in 2001. Uh, they were preparing to, to do their first blood drive at a world science fiction convention in Philadelphia, um, the Millennium Philcon, which is still the best convention name ever. <laughs> but uh, they uh, were looking for somebody who had actually done blood drives at conventions before. And I had done a, a drive at Cognacopia uh, in Anaheim, the, the NASFIC in 1999 and at Chi-Con 2000. So they contacted me about helping to set things up there. And uh, they didn't have room at the convention to do the blood drive on site. So the Science Society rented us, uh, arranged a space off site. And we still had 60 people who were willing to, to come off site during their convention and donate blood. Uh, so uh, since then, the blood drives have grown over the years. I think the latest figures I, I, I know of we've collected about 45,000 units of blood at various uh, Heinlein Society blood drives. Uh, our biggest drive being at Dragon Con every year over Labor Day weekend. And uh, uh, other programs that have become very big for us. Uh, in 2012, we started our scholarship program. And uh, we only had two scholarships then of $500 each uh, to start out. And we've increased either the amount or the number of scholarships almost every year since then. And this year we gave out four scholarships of $4,000 each. Uh, and the scholarships are only for undergraduate students majoring in STEM fields. So science, technology, engineering, and math. Right. And uh, we had uh, 567 applicants this year for four scholarships. So it was, it was a... A that's challenge that's to, at a record, right? Yes, yes. We had it's more than and uh, it's grown, you know, almost every year since the amounts have been growing and and, and we become more well known. Uh, the, the scholarship shows up on a lot of scholarship websites. So I was the, about the to ask what what kind of what kind of of methods what kind of efforts are made to increase awareness so like you say as as this thing has grown you've been able to add more money to it add, add more uh, the number of scholarships like you said you're up to four now um what what does it take to get people to know that you guys are even out there doing this uh i do try to get information out to most of the scholarship websites so uh uh, scholarships.com and, and various other websites. I try to contact uh, someone from those sites and give them the information about uh, the scholarship so that they post it there. 
where uh, students can find it. And we've managed to get you know some press from various science fiction publications. Uh, I think even uh, Sci-Fi Wire years ago had a uh, they had a list of they, they said like twelve geeky scholarships you could apply for, and one of them was ours was mentioned there. So. Uh, yeah, any, any way we, we can get the, the word out, we, we try to. And we actually, our social media too, uh, has grown considerably in recent years, thanks uh, largely to Ken Walters, our, our membership chair and current uh, vice president, has been very active on Facebook. And we know he also has help uh, for Twitter and, and uh, Instagram. And we have over 200,000 people following us on Facebook now. So it's helped a lot to get awareness of the society out there. Now you've got four scholarships. One of them is named after Virginia Heinlein. You've got the Robert Heinlein Scholarship. Dr. Yoji Kondo has a scholarship uh, and the Dr. Jerry Purnell. Now it, it strikes me as, as interesting, odd, unusual that the Robert A. Heinlein scholarship is the latest one you added. That wasn't your first one. What, what was? What's the story on that? Uh, the scholarships weren't named originally. Uh, there were just two, two scholarships from the Heinlein Society. When the third scholarship was added, it was because we had a donor who wishes to remain anonymous who wanted to, who, who uh, came to us and said he wanted to see a scholarship established for specifically for female uh, STEM students. And, and uh, rather than trying to establish something on his own, he knew that we had this program and, and wanted to establish one in Virginia Heinlein's name and you know, uh, guaranteed us that he would donate a certain amount of money for uh, every year for 10 years at least. Uh, towards funding that scholarship and towards additional, uh, you know, increasing the amount for the the uh, other two scholarships. So uh, that was our first name scholarship was the Virginia Heinlein. Later, the board voted to uh, name the other two scholarships for uh, former board members, uh, Dr. Yoji Kondo and Dr. J Jerry Pornell, uh, who have both since passed away. And uh, then when we this year we added a fourth scholarship. We, we felt that obviously we should name that one for, for Robert, so specifically. Now this this idea of paying it forward uh, comes specifically with regard to Heinlein, comes out of the story Between Planets, where he's got a, a character that says, you know, instead of instead of paying me back, you, you, you pay it forward, you do something. And of course the concept of paying it forward universally has been uh, something that a lot of people have embraced. How, how does that philosophy impact the kind of things that the Heinlein Society gets involved in? I mean, you've got the blood drive, you've got the, um, what was the other program there? You've got um, the... Um, Highline for Heroes. Highline for Heroes program. You've got scholarship program. You've got education programs to you know encourage people to read science fiction or read Heinlein. Right. How does paying it forward apply as a filter to all of that? I, I think it's just the the philosophy of, of looking for things that you know 
have a lot of future potential that, that to continue to help uh, society uh, in the future. So obviously the scholarships, you know, which was something early on we had wanted to do, but hadn't really uh, developed in, uh, in, during the first 10 years that we were around. So it was something that we felt strongly we needed to add in because you know that, that will pay forward the future generations. Uh, you know, the education CDs, uh, the books will continue to, uh, that we send for the uh, Heinlein for Heroes program will continue to remain there available for you know, the now the serving. The Heinlein for Heroes program is uh, is what exactly? How does how does that work? Because you're sending you're basically sending care packages. Right, and we're sending uh, care packages of books to military personnel uh, stationed in various places around the world. And uh, we, we work uh, in conjunction with a group called Operation Paperback, uh, who sends huge numbers of paperbacks. And uh, often when they get specific requests for science fiction and fantasy books, then they will pass the information along uh, to us about uh, sending those books. And we also now get contacted directly as well because we put a little note in the books, you know, where they came from. So word, I guess, has spread around some. And so we get direct requests for books. We always try to include a few Heinleins in each shipment, but the science fiction fantasy books uh, range from classic stuff to modern, you know, all across the board. Uh, and these books are get, do donated then and you just collect them up and, and pass them out? People, people donate books or people donate money and we purchase books, um, usually used books. But uh, the paperbacks are mostly shipped uh, to duty stations. If we get hardcovers, then uh, those usually go to veterans hospitals. Uh, and I think we've shipped at this point about 39,000 books so far on with, with this program. So it's been very successful and very popular. We get a lot of thank you notes from uh, military personnel who, who have received the books. Now, enjoyed them. Is, is this something that uh, is sometimes, I don't, I don't know what kind, of a, what kind of a challenge it is to get them shipped because you know, you've got the cost of shipping you have to figure out some of the places I imagine is it harder to get them to to different bases around the world, or is it just a matter of you know covering the expense, or do you have to jump through hoops and uh, you know as, as far as, as like know, inspections uh, and customs and that sort of thing? I don't believe they've had to go through customs. Uh, John Seltzer uh, is the person who handles most of our our. Uh, book shipments. He's really been the guy on the ground doing doing all the shipping. But as far as I know, most of the if they are going overseas, they're usually going to an APO or something. So it, it, I don't think they have to actually go through customs with them. But uh, I actually don't know for sure offhand. But mostly, it's just the cost of the shipping is you know it's part of the the cost of running it. And we've had uh, donations from the Heinlein Prize Trust as well that they, they've helped with uh, supporting that pro that program with the shipping costs and things. And then 
let me ask let me let me go back to the blood drives for a second here because the last couple of years have been a challenge i would expect because of, of everything that's been going on what kind of adjustments have you had to make for those Yes, the, obviously most of the conventions pretty much all got canceled uh, during COVID. So uh, we encourage people to, to donate uh, in the name of the society at their local blood banks because uh, they, they were still collecting blood, obviously, it was necessary uh, to have uh, blood donations. So we, you know, uh, just asked people and, and tried to get the word out to, to you know, have people continue donating blood at least, even if they, you know, they weren't attending a convention or doing it as part of a of that group activity. And you've been, you, know, you said you've been with uh, with the Heinlein Society for a while now. What keeps you there? What what is it about the society that that makes it worthwhile for you? Uh, the, the work they're doing is important to me. Uh, like I said, I got involved originally because of blood drives, and that was something I had already uh, started getting involved in at, at conventions because it, I thought it was important to to try to make that happen. Um, yeah, the scholarships, the the Heinlein for Heroes. All I'm a I'm a vet myself, and so yeah the, the the programs mean a lot to me and the people are really good I, it, uh, you know all the people serving on the board and the, and the chair people of different committees and other people that i've worked with at conventions they're they're all volunteers so they're and they're dedicated they, they all believe strongly in what we're doing because they're not getting paid they're, you know they're doing it because it means something to them and and that's kind of what keeps me going Something that I have noticed, because uh, we, we, we were at Worldcon in 2016 when it was here in Kansas City. And one of the things that has been the topic of discussion in a number of different places over the years is the fact that the Worldcon crowd is aging up. You know, people, people who are really interested in the classic literary science fiction you know the 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 not necessarily nose near air type of thing but it, there's a very specific group that's you know the literary crowd as opposed to the the entertainment crowd is as, as far as the focus seems to be aging up ha, have have you noticed in the demographics of the people that have an interest in what the society is doing is there a mix? Is it mostly older? How are you? How are you trying to attract the younger crowd to get them interested? Because you know, Robert A. Heinlein. Who's this guy? This is you know, you know, he's this is ancient stuff. This is you know, if it's not if it's not written in the last five years, then you know, if it didn't happen before I was born, you know, that kind of thing. So what right. what kind of what kind of outreach do you try to do for younger readers to get people interested? early uh part of it is the, the social media uh we having expanded that a lot I, I we've had a lot of our newer members ha have been people who discovered us through social media uh i don't really know off the top of my head what the breakdown is between the the you know age wise i, I suspect it still skews a little bit older 
because the, the, you know timeline has more name recognition among older fans uh but i know we've had you know some younger members that have been starting to join even some becoming lifetime members uh and you know i have noticed that some of the world science fiction conventions have have managed to start attracting some more younger folks they're, they're trying to broaden their horizons some and and uh, uh particularly like overseas in in, in helsinki in 2017 uh, they actually had a a, a one day, a program where where people would come in for a single day membership fairly inexpensively they, uh, they actually had to end up unfortunately cutting off and uh, limiting the number of people that they could do that because they were actually getting overwhelmed they hadn't really anticipated the response on that and uh they didn't you know they actually ended up uh, i think expanding some of the facilities they were renting to try to accommodate more but they still weren't they got such a, an influx that hmm. they had i think to limit the the numbers but they did get a lot of younger folks coming in for one day to to check it out and see what was what was going on so uh I, I think that's helping. And we try to have a presence, the society at, at other conventions, not just world science fiction convention. We do blood drives at various gaming conventions. We have a blood drive at Gen Con in Indianapolis and uh, at Anime Boston and uh, at uh, WonderCon. I run the blood, blood drive. I, I live in the LA area, so I run the, the, the blood drive at WonderCon in Anaheim. And uh, Now, were you guys at San Diego this past weekend? Uh, we were not, they've been running, uh, they, they, they named their blood drive for Robert Heinlein way back in 1977 when they first started doing it. Uh, Jackie Estrada, who approached Heinlein way back then, uh, you know, at the time Heinlein was heavily promoting blood drives. He, he believed very strongly in blood donation. He was a, a AB positive blood type, uh, somewhat rarer and, uh, and, felt very strongly on the importance of it. He, he felt he owed his life to people who had donated blood because he had needed you know, blood in a number of operations. And uh, she, he, he basically was saying, you know, talk to me if you'll have a blood drive, I'll, I'll try to make it to your convention. And, you know, of course, Comic-Con, you know, San Diego Comic-Con 1977 wasn't a big deal, but, you know, they went to him and said, hey, you know, we're gonna have, we have this convention, we're gonna do a blood drive, will you show up? And he did. And they've been doing a Robert Heinlein blood drive ever since. So even though the society does not run that drive, his name is still there. So I get some, some recognition as well. Now, have, have there been discussions about partnering up with other events? You, know, you mentioned being at Worldcon, and uh, I, I guess, are you guys going to be at DragonCon, did you say? Yes, yes, okay. that, that's our, our big drive every year. We get about 3,000 units of blood. What other, what other kind of partnerships have you discussed as far as getting the word out, maybe getting, not necessarily with Comic-Cons, but with, I don't know, media organizations, library associations, schools, that sort of thing? Are there, are there things in the works to broaden the scope of where you're reaching out? I, you know, I honestly can't answer that question that well. I, I, I probably that's a question that that uh, Ken Walters, who's who's on Facebook, and so it's, that a couple of other people on the board might might be better equipped to 
to say where there there uh, have been con contacting and connecting with with different organizations. So uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what yeah. other what other sorts of, of joint plans are in place. Okay. Where is the society based now? You mentioned you're in L.A. Uh, Highline was born here in Missouri, just south of Kansas City in Butler. Are they right. are they still down down there, or have they moved? Because I see I see the the Highline for Heroes is is out of Washington State. So you guys are kind of spread out in different places now, yeah? Right. The the our mailing address is here in California. Uh, back. Uh, uh, our former president, uh, it, it was easiest for, for him to set up a, a you know, a, a PO box where he could get all the uh, mail. When I became president in 2010, uh, I transferred that to a UPS box that would allow us to, if needed, uh, uh, you know, I collected all the mail and distributed it to, which we don't get a whole lot of. Uh, People, you know, mostly use electronic media now, so we don't get a huge number of physical letters. But uh, uh, I still collect the mail, even even though I'm, I'm not the president anymore, just because it was convenient for me to continue. But if for some reason I wasn't able to do it, UPS will forward. We, we can tell them to forward it to wherever, and they'll they'll take take it once a week and bundle it up and forward it to uh, wherever we need to, to get it. So. Yeah, the, the society was actually officially incorporated as a Texas nonprofit in part because uh, uh, Art Dula, who's a friend of, of Virginia Highlines, she wanted him to set up the paperwork and th that was convenient. He was based in Texas. And so they, they set it up as a Texas nonprofit. But uh, our board members are all over the country and, and our members are all over the world. And so we don't really have a, a central location. Right. How many, uh, how many of the Heinlein family are still involved? Um, there are actually no members who are actively, you know, of the Heinlein family who are still actively involved since uh, I mean, Virginia Heinlein passed away in 2003. She was on the board of directors until she passed away. Uh, he has, you know, some relatives uh, a couple of them came to the Heinlein Centennial Convention in Kansas City in 2007 we actually had a the society did not run that convention but uh, had had a, a large presence we ran the blood drive there and and uh, but there was a centennial convention for Heinlein in 2007 and a couple of his uh, relatives were there but they don't have much you know day-to-day -day, uh, connection with the society all right, we're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue uh, talking a little bit about the legacy of Heinlein and some of the specific criteria for the scholarships. We'll continue with Mike Sheffield from the Heinlein Society right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio because it's the second best invention in the history of the world. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday morning for news. The week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, horror, comic books, video games, plus Comic-Con updates and the weather. 
and the occasional interview along the way. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. We hope you join us every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. There are some Robert A. Heinlein books on my shelf. I have to establish my geek cred here a little bit. Welcome back, everyone. Jason Hunt here. We are live from the bunker talking with Mike Sheffield, who is the scholarship chair at the Heinlein Society, named for Robert A. Heinlein. And, and Mike, let me, let me ask you this, because there are some people out there who are critical of Heinlein's later work. And as, as we get to everything else, politics comes into play here. It's, oh, well, you know, Robert E. Heinlein. You know, there, you get the harump, harump, harump. How, how do you keep Heinlein relevant in the modern era? What, what's the appeal? How do you, how do you get people say you know here this is robert a heinlein oh well he's long time ago and technology has surpassed anything in those those books and we know so much more now than we did and he's he's not relevant anymore we don't need we don't need heinlein how do you pitch robert a heinlein to new readers well much the same way with any classic science fiction that you know the technology moves on but he told he was a great storyteller and he was he, he was a, a really great american author and you know he, he told stories that are timeless and and as you know any good story hopefully is it you know you, you sort of look past some of the the science that doesn't you know fit anymore that we we know isn't correct and and, and you know a lot of this the science fiction that's written even today we know that the science isn't necessarily accurate they're they're theorizing they're you know they don't want you don't want to let the science get in the way of a good story so you you find ways around that so right. uh you know that's that's part of it and and he wrote stories across a, a quite a range of of uh age you know that his juveniles are, are wonderful places for not only for young readers i mean i i like a lot of his juveniles still to to go back and look at so yeah uh, and uh, the Heinlein Prize Trust, uh, which is uh, uh, funds the Heinlein Prize from from Heinlein's estate, uh, they've been uh, uh, publishing you know, new editions of his books as well as uh, authorizing. Uh, recently, there's been some graphic novels done done through uh, uh, Kickstarter. So there's a Citizen of the Galaxy graphic novel and uh, have spacesuit will travel and, and, and things that are, uh, and, and now they're working on a graphic novel for Lifeline, a short story of his. Now, are, going, are these dollar babies like Stephen King does? You pay him a dollar, you get to adapt it for a short film or movie or whatever, or is, or is there a little bit more involved in that? No, the, the, this this is a, a regular graphic novel being done, uh, uh, but they have the, you know, the copyright, you know, it, it, it's allowed through the Heinlein pro, uh, since they control the copyrights for his books. Other than 
there are six books which Heinlein deeded the copyrights to the uh, public library in Butler, Missouri. Uh, I don't, I can't tell you off the top of my head which ones those were, but but the Prize Trust uh, manages all of the other copyrights, and so uh, but they're you know allowing these graphic novel adaptations, and uh, it's being funded through Kickstarter, and and they do different levels, uh, you know, electronic version, uh, limited edition hardcovers, if they if they get funded enough, and they usually go well over their funding goals. And uh, so they can do their stretch goals. So now, do uh, you know if any of them are currently funding? Uh, one of them, one Kickstarter just finished funding, I don't know if you, uh, you, you may still be possible to contribute to it. Uh, but it, it, it just uh, completed its run. It may still be possible to purchase the books and things for it, which is the uh, lifeline. Uh, so there, there, there aren't any currently in the works beyond that, but I'm sure there will be in the future. Yes. And it's, and it's noted here as a project we love for Kickstarter. So uh, they must have they must have highlighted it a little bit more, and uh, it looks like twenty just over twenty thousand pledged two hundred thirty five backers. That's uh, that's pretty good. I think yeah. one of the one of the things that surprises me, I guess, uh, and it and it kind of sets me back a little bit, is to hear some of the younger people dismissing the classic authors. Heinlein, Sturgeon, Asimov, Bradbury, uh, as as irrelevant. But really, I mean, without them, you don't have anybody else after that. You know, it's and and we're still running into this. Somebody, some the other day, was talking about Walt Simonson as an artist. You know, he's a comic book artist. He's well established, legendary comic book artist. And some editor wouldn't hire him because he's old fashioned. I'm like, how how do you pass that up? You know, if you've got somebody who's that established and that influential in in the marketplace you don't just you don't just casually dismiss them because Heinlein's had a great influence on science fiction in general uh, moving forward but I mean even then I mean you talk about technology I think Heinlein was one of the first people if not the first who talked about geosynchronous orbits for satellites and you know communication satellites and then here we are we have them so it's it's yeah and in fact arthur clark wrote, wrote an article 1945 uh for one of the science magazines that that talked about that the, the concept you know as an actual that's right it was clark yeah well it wasn't headline it was clark i, I yeah. misspoke all right but yeah it's it's it just It feels like the younger crowd, or or not necessarily the younger crowd, the people who are new to the genre of speculative fiction are missing out if they don't uh, if they don't go back with some of the classics and 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 read some of this stuff. Are, is there a danger of classic science fiction literature being lost? I suppose possibly, but. Uh... I think enough people find it to keep to keep it going. It, 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 but it, I think I'm not sure that's different from previous generations in some ways. You know, I think people have always uh, had a tendency to look at 
you know, what was, you know, the past and, and maybe to ignore his, their history and to ignore uh, what was before in favor of what's new and, and popular now. I, I, I think you know, there might be a little bit of a tendency in human nature in general, but, but hopefully people, you know, enough of them see some of the older things and read them and, and realize that there's good stories there and, and that that's enough to, to make them say, hey, you know, uh, maybe I need to, to read. Of course, you know, 60 years ago or 80, you know, it, it was possible for somebody who was, you know, a heavy science fiction fan to read almost everything new that was being published in the field and, and <laughs> be up on all of the, now there's so much. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's become so widespread that it's not possible to keep up with everything. Has that, has that kind of worked against us? Because, you know, back in, back in the day, and and I'm I'm in this generation. It was not cool to be interested in any of this stuff. You know, I got I got bullied on the playground, same as anybody else. And now, especially with the Marvel movies out there, it's it's cool to be a to be a fan of this stuff. And some people have looked at it and said, well, maybe it wasn't exactly the greatest thing that everybody is now interested in this because, you know some people are bringing their sensibilities to it and they don't have an appreciation for what science fiction actually is supposed to do and they want to change it all. It, is, is science fiction too popular these days, maybe? Maybe, but at the same time, new ideas are what keep, keep things going. So the, the fact that people want to do something a little different than what's been happened before and they want to, to change it to, to suit... You know their personal life experiences and things. They want something that that speaks to them directly. I think is actually overall a good thing. It it just it just broadens, you know. As I say, it makes it so that it's not possible to keep up with everything. But it also means that there's you know just that much more out there for you know for people to find uh, something that's meaningful for them. Right. So, <coughs> so what is your favorite Heinlein story? If you have to pick one, you're on a deserted island. This is the one you're going to read the rest of your life. What would it be? I think my favorite was Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Uh, but it, it, it's, a, it's a close call. There, uh, you know, I love how Spacesuit Will Travel. It, it, it's just you know, wonderful. And Citizen of the Galaxy. Uh, so, you know, those speak to me a lot. Uh, yeah. I suppose I would probably be sad if there were any one book that I had to be stuck reading, for, rereading for the rest of my life. Only one book, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I see Starship Troopers mentioned in the chat. There, Sci-Fi Snob is is talking about that one. Plus, Moon is a Harsh Mistress. I I'm a big fan of Space Cadet. Um, I like Friday. I like uh, you know Glory Road is an interesting, different yes, different yes. story from him. Um, Cam says uh, Moon is a Harsh Mistress, his favorite as well. It, it What's the what's the through line? Because you know, Heinlein wrote a number of different kinds of stories. Yes. Is there, for you, uh, is there a particular common element in the stuff that he wrote, do you think? Yeah. I think for me, one of the things I notice about Heinlein's protagonists is they're extremely competent. 
the, and I know that, that, that there's a lot of science fiction fantasy where the hero is sort of, I guess, I guess they want to make them the every man and, you know, the every person. And so, you know, they often bumble their way through some of the stories, but Heinlein's protagonists usually tend to be, you know, pretty on top of things. You know, they, they may get, get uh, above their, uh, you know, things that are out of their control, but they're, they're, you know, almost always thinking a step or two ahead and, and are, are exceptionally good at least one. Oh, he froze. Mike, you still there? He froze up. We may have lost him. I don't know. We'll check. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. I think one of, one of the things I like about about Space Cadet is the kind of like what Mike is talking about there. The, your 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 protagonists aren't perfect, but they're capable, and you know they're they're cadets. They're learning, but they're still they're still that that high intelligence and capability that they've got. Um, all right, Mike. I think uh, let's see. Up, oh, we lost him. There we go. We'll bounce out and let's bounce. Let's see if we bounces back in. Um, and yeah, Cam, you're right. It, it is. It is a very core, uh, core science fiction theme because it's it's one of those that's. Let's let's learn how to do the thing and let's go let's go explore and it's um, it's not wishy washy about that stuff and, and it doesn't and it doesn't um it doesn't preach at you none i don't i don't i don't know that any of Heinlein's stuff got preachy so we'll see all right we'll see if if mike pops back in here uh or not but anyway in the meantime while uh, while we're waiting i do want to encourage everybody to go check out good morning multiverse saturday morning 11 a.m eastern 10 central and, uh, of course, we do want to encourage everyone to go check out the Sci-Fi For Me TV.2 page and uh, go, uh, go see about that because it's, uh, we're, it's an experiment. It's a work in progress. We're going to try, uh, try something over there. So, uh, <laughs> Mazer says, GoPro cameras are ridiculously expensive now. They've always been. <laughs> so... Mike, all right, you're back. Yes. They they don't want you talking to me anymore. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> they're monitoring everything, so. They do, right? They do. Well, and and, and something something that you were talking about and and I agree when I'm, I'm looking at something like Space Cadet, you have these kids who are very intelligent, very capable, uh, and they you you're right. They're not they're not stumbling and fumbling all over each other to try to get the, you know, they're not making it up as they go type of thing. They're, they're adapting, they're adjusting the, okay, here's the situation. How do we, how do we handle it? And maybe that's missing in some stories. Now there's a movement afoot, uh, some different authors who are trying to do something they call superversive stories, which is basically there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, there's a clear delineation between the two. Uh, the good guy is a hero type, and you've got some hopeful resolution at the end of the story. Do you think 
Heinlein stories kind of fit into that mold a little bit more than because his, his like you said his heroes are his protagonists are not complicated in that you know they're not troubled and trying to trying to muddle through and all of that does does that do, do I have that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I think there there there. Te- I mean, it tends to be. Uh, it, it doesn't tend to be too ambiguous with you know I know there there are some stories and some authors where the characters are very uh, and, and even the resolutions are very ambiguous that that, that uh, you know it, it's sort of life continues on and, and maybe nothing you know maybe things aren't really resolved at the end and I think he tends to uh, wrap that up a little bit more than that, although he, he sometimes leaves some slightly open-ended uh, finishes, you know, leaves some questions hanging at the end, things like, uh, 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 senior moment here. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the, the, I, I do think he, he it, it tends to be a little more black and white than, than perhaps some other authors. Yeah. Is is Stranger in a Strange Land ever gonna gonna get adapted? Do you think? I mean, they've been talking about it. There was there was an announcement that that I think Sci-Fi was gonna be working on it. Somebody somebody was gonna try to do it. And I remember uh, the discussion around here was mainly how are they gonna do that? <laughs> so it's one and of that's those. Really quite, yeah. yeah, we we a lot of us have asked that question. We we've, we've often wondered, you know. As much as I love it, I, I don't know how well they can adapt it yeah. to the screen and 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 keep all of what's there. And yeah, it, it it would be a challenge. I don't know how many times that's been optioned by different people with you know that were interested in doing it, and it always seems to you know after a couple of years get dropped and then they go on. So well, and I think I think for me one of the challenges is. In this day and age, uh, that particular that particular book would get quite a bit of ideological criticism. It, it'd probably get a lot of heat for how much it questions uh, religion and how much it uh, take you know the government and and relationships and and that kind of thing so i don't know i, I outside yeah. you know besides the, been... besides the nudity i mean you'd you'd have all of the all of the problems with the story somebody would somebody would complain about something i mean in this day and age of cancel culture anything I, I, anything sure can offend would... anybody sure they, they would be i mean but on the other hand they've managed to you know, to do the golden, you know, uh, Philip Pullman's The Golden Compass. And, uh, you know, that has a, a lot there that yeah. got, you know, various people upset. So I think they might, you know, still be able to go ahead and do that. Uh, but I'm just w- more worried about the logistics of trying to, 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 <laughs> to tell that story and, and adapt it in a way that 
you know, it would almost have to be a mini series. I mean, it's just too big a novel to encompass in, in just one movie. Yeah. Almost any novel is really a little bit much to incorporate in a single movie. Yeah, you could probably do a juvenile in a in a two and a two hour movie, but not not any of the bigger bigger stuff. Um, yeah. You know, Sci-Fi says Moon would make a, a good uh, eight episode show. And he wants right. a good adaptation of Starship Troopers. I think a lot of people don't realize that that Verhoeven's movie was a parody. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not it's not Starship Troopers. I mean, no. it it is, but it's not. And you know, it's uh, it anybody that's read yeah. the book. It's it's a great popcorn, you know, summer film, you know, evening summer film, you know, action thing. But it should just, you know filed off the serial numbers and and you know because other than a few names that you know it, it really has very little resemblance to the at least to the society in the book i mean they're, yeah. they're battling giant space bugs that's the same but you know they didn't have the technology the, the video technology at the time or the computer imaging to be able to try to do the the suits so you know the powered armor so right yeah you know. I was actually a, a, a spent two days being a background extra on that film the, oh, yeah? uh, at the World Science Fiction Convention in 1996 here in Anaheim. They were, you know, they were behind budget. I think, uh, you know, they were over budget and they were behind schedule. And they were looking for sign up science fiction fans who would, you know, come and, you know, be in the background, you know, for the price of they give us all a free T-shirt and and feed us lunch and so, you know. <laughs> That's that's always fun. And and it's you look at some of the stuff and I think some of it would be easier to adapt than others. Um it and maybe a, maybe a one-shot book n instead of some of the series stuff. I mean, you've got you've got the Lazarus Long stuff. But yeah, it's uh, it. It would be a challenge to adapt some of his more well-known stuff, I think. Yeah, have spacesuit or travel. I really think would, would be something that could be adapted well to the screen. It, you know, it's a nice, complete story there, and and I, I think that would that would actually work fairly well. Well, maybe we ought to get in touch with the with the people that that run that and and see if we can adapt it. We've been talking about doing some stuff, but that's uh, that's a little bit a little bit above our pay grade most of the time. So yeah. So anyway, I don't. It, it's it's fun to see some of this stuff come back. I mean, Denny Villeneuve has done a really good job adapting Dune, uh, and and at some point we're supposed to be getting Rendezvous with Rama. So I don't know. I guess I guess my hope is if. If you're going to be doing these adaptations of the classics, one, they've got to be faithful to the classics. They've got to be faithful to the story. And you have to, you have to somehow pivot that interest in the film and say, hey, you watched the movie, now go read the book. It's something that I've been a, a very critical of Marvel for because they've had all of these Marvel movies that feature comic book superheroes and they haven't had the comic books out in the movie theater kiosk you know, and say, hey, you just watched Thor. Here's a Thor comic book. You know, here's Iron Man. Here's an Iron Man comic book. 
a huge misstep on on marketing for those films. And I have seen some chatter that people who have gone to see Dune have started to pick up and start reading the books. So maybe that's an entry point that can be used. You know, uh, somebody mentioned Ender's Game uh, was adapted. Not too many people went and saw the movie, but there was talk about it. So, you know, people are picking up the books and they're starting to read that. So maybe that's a way to get more people interested in the books if they have faithful adaptations as movies and TV shows. Yes, and 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 I I should definitely mention one of what I think is one of the most excellent adaptations of Heinlein's story, uh, uh, an adaptation of All You Zombies. Uh, it's a it was a direct-to-video release uh, called. Uh, wait a minute. I'm drawing a blank on the title. Um, I'm not finding it. It's then directed by the Spearig brothers. Um, Uh, Eastland in the chat said, Moon is a Harsh Mistress and the earlier book about settling the moon. Oh, the Predestination one... is the name of the, of the movie. Oh, okay. All right. Predestination, yeah. It was based on All You Zombies and, and uh, stars Ethan Hawke and uh, Sarah Snook. And it's it's brilliant. And, and Sarah Snook in particular does an amazing job uh, in, in the role that she plays. And yeah, I highly recommend it. It was a direct-to-video release. Well, how how can uh, how can people find out more if they want? And let's say we I've never heard of Robert A. Heinlein. I've never read any of his stuff. Where's the best place? You know, you just go to the public library. Is there a repository somewhere? You guys have resources. Where do you where do you direct people that are just getting started with Heinlein? Um, and we have a bibliography on the website um, on on the Heinlein Society website. Uh, Actually, uh, yeah, I mean, libraries some it can be hit or miss, but you can always check out your library to look for Heinlein, and you know, the, a lot of them have some Heinlein there. Uh, there are the the Prize Trust is trying to uh, keep new editions of his stuff in the bookstores, so you can usually find a few Heinleins in the bookstore to start out, um, and then yeah, just you know. You probably get a lot of information online on uh, different and, titles of his. And where should people start? What what titles What titles are the beginning? I mean, I I tried to get my kid to read Space Cadet. He didn't get into it, but he wasn't into reading very much anyway. But you know, Space Space Cadet to me always seems like a pretty good entry point. Um, you know, Rocket Ship Galileo and a number of the juveniles. But if you've got somebody who's, you know, 30, 40 years old and they're picking up a Heinlein book, oh, well, this is for kids. I don't want to read this. Where, where else could you start? Uh, Starship Troopers, uh, um, Moon is a Harsh Mistress, Friday. Um, 
even glory road uh although that's very different for heinlein so it, it might not you know they might love glory road and then not like some of his other things depending but they're, they're all good stories about interesting characters so that that's the, the biggest similarity but obviously it's not the uh i mean he tended to write a lot more nuts and bolts science fiction and that one you know is a little bit different in that respect so right. now do you have a cat named pixel i do not know okay a cat See, named pixel. You can... at the moment we don't have a cat although we're working on uh rectifying that <laughs> Our, ours passed away shortly before the pandemic and we haven't yet got a new pet all right. The uh, the website HeinleinSociety.org, and uh, the Heinlein Society is also on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram, and uh, like uh, like Mike said, this uh, this new graphic novel that's just funded over on Kickstarter uh, looks like the funding is done on this one, but uh, we'll keep an eye out and see if there's another one coming soon and uh, bring that information to you. Mike, thank you very much for being here, sir. Thank you very much. And we are hoping at some point to try to get all four of the recipients for the scholarships together in one place so we can talk to them, and we'll have Mike back for that as well. And uh, we'll we'll do this again. We'll have some more conversations about the the Heinlein Society as uh, as things go. Who knows? We might we might be able to come up with some some things we can do together to to get the word out for for that that would be wonderful all right mike sheffield with the heinlein society thanks very much for being here and thanks to all of you for being here everybody in the chat and uh we do want to encourage you all to uh check out the tv.2 and uh, of course we've got all of the different social media channels where you can find us and connect with us and we will do this again tomorrow. We've got Michael Gallagher as a guest talking about his new book. So join us for that. There's a new Ranker Pit that just dropped last night. And uh, we've got Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday. Busy, busy, busy around here, as always. We do hope you stick around. We thank you for coming back. And that's going to do it for us today. Remember, folks, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.